Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 190. Today is June 16th, 2016. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, today the markets did something very interesting. You know, we've been seeing lower sessions and negative reversals. Well, today the markets had a positive reversal. All the major indexes closed well off their lows for the day. The S&P 500 is finding support right at its 50-day moving average. That's a good sign. It doesn't mean we're out of the woods yet, but all the price action today points to a better market. So we'll just have to see how things close out tomorrow. In the meantime, though, let's forget about the stock market in particular. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. You see, earlier this afternoon, I was interviewed on Freedom Fest TV uh, with Terry Brock. I'll put a link in today's show notes where you can access a recording of that video. But I will caution you, you do have to sign in with either your Twitter or your Facebook account. I know some of you either don't like to do that or or don't have those accounts. And so in today's episode, I'll play that interview in its entirety. At some points, the audio is a little bit sketchy here and there, but but that's okay. I think you're going to enjoy it. Terry's questions are spot on. I think you'll like my answers, and I'd also like to introduce you to the Freedom Fest event if that's something you're not aware of. So you'll be hearing me talk about that in some upcoming episodes as well. But for now, sit back, relax. Here's my interview with Terry Brock. Hello, and welcome to Freedom Fest TV. I'm Gina Carr, the producer of Freedom Fest TV, and I'm so glad that you could join us today. Please uh, be sure to tell your friends to send out a tweet and and invite them to join us. Uh, The more, the merrier. If you have questions for our guests, that's going to be a great time to to ask them. You'll be able to call in. You can click the call in button right there in the in um, the open screen, and you can actually pop in and ask questions. Uh, we're going to have a great time today. Our guest is extremely interesting, as is our host. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He was the former chief enterprise blogger at Skype and the editor in chief of AT and T's award winning business blog. He's a member of the National Speakers Association Hall of Fame, and he speaks all around the world about marketing and technology. He's going to be the master of ceremonies at this year's Freedom Fest, which you don't want to miss. You got to get there. Uh, let me give you a little little hint. You can use the code FFTV all in caps to uh, at FreedomFest.com to get $100 off your registration. So I encourage you to do that. And with that, let me turn it over to our host today. Master Ceremonies and host of Freedom Fest TV, Terry Brock. Well, Gina, thank you very much. And uh, for those of you joining us, it is delightful to have you here today. I'm really looking forward to this very practical and very helpful podcast that we're doing here, podcast and broadcast using some great tools. Our guest is right there on the screen. His name is John Pugliano, and he is joining us. John, good to have you here with us today. Terry, Gina, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be on uh, Freedom Fest TV. Yeah, we're going to have some fun with this. And matter of fact, everybody, hey, look, got the introduction right here. This guy is amazing. He has spent, get this, 30 years studying and applying habits of financially independent middle-class Americans. We've been talking beforehand here, and I really like, you're going to love too, when you hear his concepts and principles. He encourages everyone to seek freedom. Ooh, we like that. By learning to live debt-free and practice 10 simple wealth-building principles. He has served in the military as both enlisted and officer. Get this. He was in both the Marine Corps and an officer in the Army. Both of those. Had a successful corporate career and is a late-blooming entrepreneur starting his first business at age 52. 
He has a master's in science and systems management from the University of Southern Cal over there, USC, and bachelor of science in environmental science and engineering from Penn State. He's the host of the popular personal financial podcast called the Wealth Steading Podcast. And by the way, make a note of this. Do yourself a favor. You want to listen to that. I did and really got a lot of good information from there. So if you are dealing with money or you have to pay bills or you have debt or you want to make money, that's a good thing. If that applies to any of you, you want to get, listen to that. So it's Wealth Steading Podcast. And he's the founder and money manager at Investable Wealth. And uh, he and his wife, Cheryl, are the parents of six children. And so he has done a lot. And so what I want to do as we get started here, John, I just ask you kind of in a summary and executive overview real quick of your financial philosophy, your strategy, and what your thoughts are on spending money, credit, investing, kind of in a nutshell, what your philosophy is on that. Yeah, Terry, my overall philosophy is, uh, and, and it comes around why I named my podcast Wealthsteading. It's it's to take on the old uh, fashioned word of homesteading. And um, I think that you should try and be as self-sufficient as you can, but you do that in our modern society today by not necessarily farming a couple acres, but by farming your assets. And your assets are really just an extension of your freedom. We all go to work and we get paid money. We earn an income. I believe that the way you... Uh, are able to secure your eventual freedom is by having as, as many assets as you can. So I've never approached money from a, you know, wanting wealth so I could just have money. I approached it so I could have more personal time and freedom. So my concepts are very simple. I think you start by earning. You have to learn to earn an income. You do that by offering people products and services. Then you have to have the discipline to save it. And then and only at that point, do you look at investing and you invest by investing in yourself, investing in your small business, investing in the stock market, investing in real estate. There's no one path to becoming a millionaire. I have, uh, as you mentioned, over 30 years, I've been studying millionaires. I have millionaires as clients. I was a good student, became one of my own. Um, and that was all done. All of us have a different story as how we got there. It's like personal freedom or how we've come to the liberty movement. We all come here through a different path, but it's all attainable. You know, our creator instilled these uh, abilities and talents in all of us, and we make money and build wealth by sharing those talents and providing services for other people. It's really that simple. Yeah, I like that. I love your philosophy and the way you approach it. And so I want to get into some uh, uh, big picture concepts as well as some nitty gritty because you got a lot of valuable information we want to share with people here as we're talking about Freedom Fest. And of course, you will be at Freedom Fest. So today is a way to introduce you to people. They get a chance to know you, your philosophy, and then we're going to go even more in depth at Freedom Fest itself. But uh, one of the things, my first question here I was writing down, we're aware of what's going on in the real world. We see that there are real challenges. I mean, we're as we're recording this now, there was yet another shooting that took place and has had the nation uh, very distraught, and we're seeing what's happening. We're also seeing problems overseas, and we're talking, looking at, uh, again, as we're recording this, the uh, Brexit possibility, however that turns out. There's all kinds of things going on, and now there are those who are thinking, okay, what we need to do is run for the hills, wherever those hills are, and kind of hunker down, not do much. Do we need to avoid the free market now? John, you're an expert. You are uh, an expert on this kind of thing. You're familiar with that. Given that so much is happening today, what would you say is a good way to live, to invest, and to develop our financial strategy in the real world in the midst of all that going on? Sure. Uh, 
Thanks. And, and Terry, I, I'll caution you. I, I only let one person call me an expert, which is, is my friend Jack Spierko that has the Survival Podcast. He, he, I'm on his expert council, and so I allow him. Um, I defer to his opinion and let him call me an expert. But other than that, I tell people I, – I, I don't like experts. I, um, I actually tell people that um, you know the only thing I'm an expert in is my own opinion. And I think you should be very skeptical of experts. I'm very uh, – I'm a very cynical – uh, person and and I and when I hear people claiming they can predict the future, or no, you know the, the you just talked about the Brexit. You know, over the last month, the polls have gone back and forth so much where yeah. there was no way they were going to exit the European Union, and then maybe they were, and now maybe they're not. Back and forth, no one knows. There's there's seven bill there's seven billion people on the face of this planet, and the markets and all these things are are. Uh, occur as an interaction of all those things. So for someone to think that just because they have a chart or an algorithm or high frequency trading that they can know what the stock market's going to do or be able to predict something. I mean, I, I've been hearing the Federal Reserve for eight years tell me they're going to raise interest rates. Right? I mean, they, 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 they raised it a quarter of a basis point once in eight, in eight years. Mm -hmm. We're at historical uh, unprecedented losses on interest rates. You know, does the Federal Reserve, are they that, you know, are they that incompetence that they can't forecast? that we haven't reached an escape velocity at this point, or are they manipulating us and lying to us? Well, you know, either way, who, who cares? I mean, the, the end result is the same. We, they say one thing and they do something else. Mm -hmm. um, so all those things though, Terry, I think we can look at all those things as opportunities. Um, you know, I, 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 as cynical as I am, I am also a person that looks at the glass as being half full. And I think you have to do that. You have to have a, um, a sense of a bright future. And so, uh, you know, I haven't, I haven't done it, but I, and I didn't do it because I didn't see a good risk, uh, lower risk way for my clients to be able to do it. But I was very much trying to short the, the um, Euro and go long the British pound in the same trade because uh, with, without a whole lot of risk, because I, I actually think what, no matter how this works out, I think it's gonna be okay for the pound. The British pound's gotten beaten down so much because of all the negative press. You know, Europe as a continent in the last century fought two world wars. They went through all these major problems and they survived. And so if a little island nation, you know, fourth, fifth economy in the world, if they decide to leave the EU, it's not going to be the end of the world. Mm. It's not going to be the end of the world if interest rates go up or go down a little bit. It's not going to be the end of the world if, um, uh, you know, if, if Japan devaluates the currency a little more, these are things that I look at, at market fluctuations. They're definitely opportunities. They're things I try and take. I, you know, I am a big follower of trends. That's the way I've made my money in the stock market. But on a, a human level to people like us, you know, they're meaningless. We need to just go out and, and, uh, and, and live our lives in a way where we're providing those products and services and we get our compensation. Um, I'm, I'm a believer that people should do things like with Bitcoin. Um, I, I, uh, I don't look at Bitcoin as an investment now, but I do look at it as possibly a place to hedge against currency or problems. So as people would do with gold or silver, precious metals, you know, maybe you want to put 5% uh, of your, your net worth or something in, in uh, precious metals. You know, maybe a little bit of that in Bitcoin wouldn't be a bad idea either. But you know, right now I'm 30% in the stock market. I'm I'm 70% in cash. I don't like you know we're just a few percent off the all-time record highs. This market's been juiced by the Federal Reserve. I'm cautious of it. I've got about 30% in, and the stocks I'm invested in now are uh, good, solid stocks. I own Apple. I own Starbucks. I own uh, Disney. You know these are uh, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not worried about the end of the world.
Uh, so you look at things. I, one of the things I really like about uh, your philosophy and approach is what I've seen so far. You're very pragmatic. And you look at what is working. And particularly, you mentioned Bitcoin. I was writing this down. I was going to ask you about that. Yesterday, or a couple of days ago, I had it. It was $680 as we're doing this recording. Today, when I checked it just a few moments ago, $745. Huge uh, difference in that. And going upward, it seemed. Now, of course, we know things don't always go up. But I want to go a little more in depth there and you feel, and what you feel the role of Bitcoin would be for investors and for people that just want to uh, live freely and uh, be able to exchange with something other than fiat currency. What are your thoughts on Bitcoin? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I did a whole podcast on that just a couple episodes ago, so people can listen to that for some detailed information. But just at a high level, I'll tell you, Terry, and and I don't always take my own advice here. I'll tell you right away. Um, You know, about a year and a half ago, I was out with some friends um, around a campfire, and we were talking about Bitcoin. And I said, you know, now is really the time. If you have some Las Vegas money, now is the time to just take $10,000 and put it into Bitcoin. This is when Bitcoin was around you know, $220. And I said that because Bitcoin, you know, it was, it was like any stock or IPO. It had gone up uh, to, I don't know, $1,100, $1,200 in, in, in 2013. And then it crashed, came down, you know, more than 80-some percent. Right. But then it started to level out. Last fall, it started to level out. It was right around... 200 250 in range and it was really behaving really well and again i should have listened to my own advice i didn't do it but that would have been a great time to just take ten thousand dollars and this is my, this is not investment money this is just money that you don't need right you're not you're not going to put food on the table with this money you just put it into bitcoin and let it sit there and and really i believe bitcoin because of the blockchain technology i, I really don't care about the or I'm not no, that I don't care. I'm not I'm not um, I'm not saying that the currency part of it isn't important, but just the overall blockchain technology, I think that that's going to be so valuable and I believe that Bitcoin is the brand, right? It's the one that survived at this point, so it's likely to keep surviving. If that's going to be so important in say 15, 20 years, that that $10,000 investment a year ago would probably be worth a couple million dollars in, in 15, 20 years. I think that's, from what I've studied Bitcoin, I think that's the exponential path it could take. Now, having said that, I have not done that yet. I'm not encouraging anybody to go do it. But but at some point, I will take $10,000 and I'll probably throw it into Bitcoin. Uh, to your point, though, about short term, and there's going to be a lot of short term fluctuations. I think we're getting back into a point now where it's overbought. You have to think of the market. In all things in life, and the one thing that really attracted me to the stock market as a kid was the the um, the randomness of it. And, and and there are patterns that can be detected, but it's still very random. But things ebb and flow, and there's always a pendulum swing. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. $700 on Bitcoin, we're, we're maybe being overbought. It's maybe not being justified. It's being hyped up in the press again. I would be cautious now. But it, it will most likely probably that pendulum will come back down to a more valuable point and that would be a good time to buy it. I take that same philosophy with, you know, Microsoft stock or Google or, or any of those things. Um, I, I don't I don't uh, I'm not ever smart enough to buy at the very lowest point, but I, I try and not buy at the highest point. Either. And um, so I just take that that kind of a disciplined philosophy. What I do like about Bitcoin, though is that it proves that we don't need the government or Federal Reserve or, for that matter, any bureaucracy or agency to c- control the currency. That's a myth that we've had for 100 years or more, and I think the best thing that Bitcoin does, and if it does nothing else, it destroys that myth. 
and, and you go back to you know our country in its early days when we didn't even have a currency. We used you know Spanish coins, Spanish silver coins. No one controlled that. And you know, to me, the, the the value of gold and silver isn't isn't their intrinsic value. It's just the people just agreed to use them. You know, they could have used uh, seashells. It didn't matter what they used. Bitcoin's the same way. There's there's no intrinsic value in Bitcoin. It's just that people believe in it and they're willing to use it. And you don't need a, a government or a central bureaucracy to peg value of it. The market will do that. Yep, exactly. We're going to be able to trust the market and people exchanging ideas, exchanging goods and services back and forth freely with something that is stable. And that's where gold has a case, uh, silver and other commodities have a case as well. What are your thoughts on uh, commodities like gold, silver and others? Um, you know, again, Terry, I love all assets when they're appreciating. So that's that's been my theory over the last 30 years is to study the markets. And again, I'm not an expert. I can't predict the future, but I can look at where we've been in the recent past and I can speculate and make some educated guesses about where we may be in the future. And the beauty about paying attention to the market is, is that uh, and this is what the free market brings to all of us. It's it's that price discovery method. If the price of a stock is going up and it's going up in increased volume and you predicted that, you thought that was in your forecast, well, you stick with it. It isn't that you predicted the future. You just saw the momentum of it. But at some point, if that starts to falter, you sell it. You get out. You break your trade. You're done. You move on. Just like you would in any free enterprise. You know, If you're going to buy an ice cream and uh, the, the ice cream vendor raises its price, you decide you don't want to buy it at that point. Mm -hmm. Same thing with investing in the stocks or commodities or whatever. You follow that trend. You make educated decisions. I personally, and again, I'm, I'm more of a contrarian on things. I personally think that gold is overvalued right now, currently. And again, that could change six months from now. Uh, it's all event driven. So it could change if political events change. But for right now, I think gold is overvalued. And I base that on the historical relationship between gold and oil. You know, right now we have we have gold at about thirteen hundred dollars an ounce. We have oil below forty seven dollars an ounce. Historically, those two are linked about a, about a fifteen times ratio. Not always, but somewhere in that range. So right now, what we know is either either those are out of whack right now. And you think, what is gold? Gold is nothing more than real estate that's dug out of the ground and it's acquired by a, a great use of energy. You know, diesel trucks have to go mine it, and then it has to be refined with energy, electricity, natural gas, whatever. So, so most of the price of gold, other than the speculative part, is the energy it took to to mine that gold, and that's why there's always a historic relationship between the two. Right now, with with oil being at such historic lows, I think the gold ha could move down a lot. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, but but one of those trades is out of balance. So either oil's too cheap or gold's too expensive. Mm. I have no I have no idea which one it is, and that's what makes markets. That's what's so beautiful about it. Yeah, it does. Now speaking of markets, we see some other areas that are going on in the financial realm. And we got you here. We want to uh, find out some of your opinion on uh, the whole quantitative easing that the Fed is doing and the way they're adjusting the rates and what they're doing. And uh, there's uh, seems to be very little talk about the debt that the United States have, even though this is an election year. And I'm concerned from your point of view, what you think that means for investors, how we should change our investments, uh, or a way that we would look at it differently. What are you recommending to your clients and uh, on your podcast now, given 
what is going on with the debt, with QE and other government interventions in the economy? Yeah, well, in terms of the debt, it is astronomical. You know, we're approaching 20 trillion. Uh, hard to believe they could keep these balls in the air much longer. But again, on the other side of things, they've been doing it in Japan for nearly 30 years now. Japan's debt is is twice what ours is. Um, I think the bureaucrats and the manipulators are very good at the game that they do, and they want to keep the system going, and so they'll keep kicking the can. I'm not um, I'm not worried about an economic collapse, uh, but I am concerned with it. I, I, I eventually think someday that debt will be written off. I, I don't think it's going to be paid. Mm. Um, but having said that, you know, quantitative easing, while I disagree with it from a philosophical standpoint, again, because of my pragmatism, it's also been extremely good for the stock market. You know, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Federal Reserve's balance sheet is up, you know, four and a half trillion dollars at the same time that over the last eight years, um, our American markets are up about four and a half trillion dollars. Right. It's, it's not necessarily a direct relationship, but it's it's very much correlated. And, you know, that's why we see anytime these countries ease their money, they print more money. It creates inflation. And that and, and that inflation is seen in real estate prices and in, in the stock market. And so from a very practical standpoint, yes, you can go out and buy gold. And I'm not opposed to that. From, from the from 2000, the year 2000 till 2011, the best investment you could have made was gold. But from 2011 until three months ago, gold was one of the worst investments you could have made. So, you know, you have to watch the trends and move in and out. Um, short term, eh, there's going to be some turbulence. I, I personally think the S&P 500 could fall down to 1600, you know, 25% below where we are right now. But I have no way of knowing. Again, that's why I'm only 30% in the market. If it goes up, I'll profit a little bit from what I have in. If it goes down, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to bury my money in the backyard. I'm going to buy in at a lower price and ride that back up. The one thing I've learned over the years, I didn't become financially independent because I was smarter than anybody or because I had insider information or anything like that. I was I was just a dumb kid raised in Western Pennsylvania, you know, went in the military, had no experience on Wall Street, no experience investing stocks. I just taught myself how to do it. Uh, but what I learned was if I never suffered a catastrophic loss, then I always had money available for when things were getting better. So I didn't lose it all in 2000 with the dot-com bubble. I didn't lose it all in 2008 when the housing bubble blew up. And so I was positioning cash to be able to buy back into these markets. And the optimistic side of me says, and the belief in the free market says, is that that's what prevails. And over the, in the future, that will be what prevails. The futures, and this is one of the things I'll be talking about at Freedom Fest, is the, the future of dispersed technologies and decentralized um, markets. And, and we're seeing that you know, from things that were unimaginable. Things like Uber today, it just you couldn't have imagined it 10 years ago. Um, you know, to your point about the Federal Reserve, that the fact that we're at $20 trillion debt and that we're running huge deficits every year and that the Federal Reserve has expanded their balance sheet to uh, $4.5 trillion, 10 years ago, no one would have said that. They said, they said it was impossible that the economy would have collapsed by now. You know, but it didn't. They kicked the can. They, they're keep keeping it going. But at the, So that's a bad thing. But on the good side is, look at what we're doing right now. We're communicating freely over a technology that di didn't exist, you know, just a few years ago. But when we were talking earlier on, I was telling you about my grandfather. My grandfather was, was born in 1883. So he was about 30 years when Marconi 
sent his first radio message. And you and I are talking free, uh, watching each other with internet. I, I can remember as a little kid, my phone was hardwired to the to the wall. My mother had a big long cord so that she could walk all around the house with it. It wasn't even modular. You couldn't even unplug it. You know, a, a telephone call from New York to Los Angeles when I was a kid, you know, 15 minute phone call probably cost $200. So there are a lot of bad things, but there are also a lot of good things. And that's, like that's where you have to invest your life. Yeah, I like the way you say that because one of the things we're going to be talking about at Freedom Fest this year is freedom rising. That is our theme, freedom rising. And so we understand, yes, these things are happening that are bad. We see the events. We see what is going on with the debt, as you're talking about. I think it's uh, uh, one of the uh, uh, professors up at uh, Boston University, I forget who it is right now, saying our real debt is closer to two over $200 trillion with the unfunded liabilities. And so, unfunded. Absolutely. Yeah, we see all kinds of bad. We see what's happening with war. We see the shootings. All that. It can get rather depressing, but we also have to be realistic about the opportunities. And I want to go into that a little bit. You uh, talked a little bit um, before about some of the dispersed technologies, the decentralization, the effect on our economy, the effect on our lifestyle of places and companies like Uber, like Airbnb, the fact that we're doing this and how you see that affecting our lives uh, really in depth. What's, what do you see with that and the benefit for us as human beings? Yeah, these you know, and, and we we always have buzz, buzzwords that we use. Um, you know, there's these mega trends people are always looking for, and so right now the you know the big the big name is is a dis, is dispersed technologies or decentralization. It, it, but to me, you know what, it, it gets back to classic economics and classic Austrian economics, where it's all it's all free markets, right? The inner as long as there are human beings on the face of the earth, there's going to be the interaction between them, and that creates a market. The human so action, I think Mises, von Mises called it. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, and as long as those, there are limited restrictions on those interactions, that's how we have a free market. So there's, there's always a market. It's just a matter of how free is it. So even in the Soviet Union, we were talking earlier about the Soviet Union before we got on the air, you know, even in the Soviet Union, which doesn't exist anymore, which is, again, amazing. I spent seven years of my life in active duty fighting the Soviet Union that doesn't even exist anymore. NATO, all those things are still there, but the, the, the enemy's not even there anymore. But, you know, and that's how free markets change. Uh, government and bureaucracies don't, but the free market will change it. But, you know, even in the Soviet Union where they repress the market, well, what was the free market? It was the black market. Yes. So, so even when there isn't a market, there's a market. So again, that's the optimism in me coming out. But so what we're looking at now with dispersed technologies and things, it's just another expression of how technology is enabling the market. And so with this phone, mm -hmm. which incidentally, the problems we're having right now, as much as I'd like to blame them all on the Federal Reserve and the $20 trillion and all that, I'll tell you what, my, my study of history tells me that the 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 Federal Reserve and all the central banks, they're not creating the problem as much as they're trying to react to the problem. And the problem has a lot to do with this and things like it. You know, I, when I was 20 years in corporate America, I spent a lot of time in industrial sales and a lot of it was selling things like uh, machinery and paper products, forestry products. Well, that industry has been decimated. And um, I mean, think about a phone book. Have you seen a phone book lately? 
that that used to be a billion dollar industry. There used to be those. Yeah, long ago. <laughs> my my daughter, my fifteen year old daughter, saw one not too long ago. She didn't know what it was. She thought I was lying to her. She's like, Dad, people didn't do that. I'm like, No, that's how you used to find people. She, she really thought I was tricking her. But there, think of just the phone book. Just that one little, and then we can make millions of examples. But think of just the phone book. Do you know how many? You know, billions of dollars in human beings' lives were tied up in producing that. I mean, there were people, there were salesmen that sold the ads. There were uh, lumberjacks that cut down the trees. There were people that worked in the mills that that made converted that uh, pulp into paper. There were printers that printed it, right? On and on, and it's it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. One of the reasons is because of of you know smartphone technology and technology in general. This is giving us the dispersed economy. As a result of that, there's going to be a lot of people that lose their jobs. There's going to be a lot of things that shift. You know, if you owned BlackBerry stock 15 years ago, you were doing pretty good. If you own BlackBerry stock today, not so much. BlackBerry didn't do anything wrong. You know, I can remember the day when corporate CEOs, you could not find a corporate CEO that didn't own a BlackBerry, and they swore by them. They were linked to the enterprise systems. They liked their security. They were never going to get rid of them. In 18 months, no one had them mm. that quick. Mm. And so, technology disperses a lot of those things, um, and so it becomes winners and losers. But for us as individuals, we are going through a renaissance right now with technologies like like uh, you, you mentioned Uber. Uh, I remember trying to get a cab in Manhattan when it was raining, right? I couldn't get a cab or during a shift change. I, I had to get to O'Hare. I had to get to uh, JFK or something. I couldn't get there because I couldn't get a taxi. Well, that's not even in, in the little suburbs of Salt Lake City where I live. I can get an Uber right now. I know who the driver is. I know what kind of car they're driving. I know what their name is. I pay for it before I ever even get in the car, and I know exactly what the fee is going to be. Yeah. That technology not only enables me, but it's going to it's going to enable everybody in every aspect. You're you're going to get your haircut that way someday. You're going to get your massage that way. You're going to see your your uh, general practitioner all through this type of technology because it's dispersed just like the free market and it makes information virtually free. It, it's phenomenal and amazing. Yeah, it definitely is. I think we're at a time in history that is more exciting than ever. And it's almost like we have a dichotomy. On one hand, we see a government that is more uh, rapacious, a government that is controlling more and more of what uh, we are doing in, in life. And at the same time, there's more opportunity here, the opportunity being created by the technology and what we see. And that's where freedom is rising. And we see that Absolutely. as we're talking about at Freedom Fest this year, that freedom is rising and it's coming along as well. But now I also want and, that, and that's actually actually why I was going to Freedom Fest this year. Now, just a personal note: I'm a I'm a contrarian. I'm a nonconformist. Yeah. I'm a grumpy old guy. I don't like to go to crowds. I don't like to go to a lot of events. I've always been a huge admirer of Mark Skousen's for mm-hmm. I don't know 30 years, literally. He's I've read you know read many many. I can't remember how many books I've read that is. I've never gone to Freedom Fest because eh, you know didn't want to do the crowds and things and don't really like Vegas. When I saw Freedom Fest, when I saw that the thing of freedom rising, I said, I've got to go this year. I, you know, I, I wanted, so that finally pulled me out of the closet, making me go to Freedom Fest. We're glad you're and out of the closet and uh, here with <laughs> joining us now. <laughs> and you know, that's my message to young people too, about, about the optimism. Yeah, there's, we can get depressed about a lot of things and, and throughout history, again, in my grandfather's life, you know, my grandfather 
my, my grandfather, people talk about, oh, their grandparents survived the depression and all that. Well, you know what? My grandfather, my Italian grandfather, he's my, my paternal grandfather, I can remember him telling me he thought the depression was a cakewalk because by the, he was very, he was born in 1883. By the time he got to the depression, he had already lived through things like World War I, where he was a prisoner of war in a German prison camp uh, when he was fighting on the side for the Italians. So, I mean, his life had been so bad prior to the depression that the depression was was uh, good for him. It was economically good for him. So when we look at how bad our lives is, it is it doesn't compare to what humanity has in the past. And the good part is, too, is that because of the technologies we're talking about, we need to pick and choose where we spend our time and our effort. Just a quick note I want to I want to make sure I get in. You know, I really hate bureaucracy. I, I, I get very frustrated with the TSA and gun control and all these different things. I'm a grown man, all right? I had a top secret security clearance in the military, spent seven years on active duty. I'm not mature enough. My government doesn't let me carry a blade of any length on an airplane, right? I could hurt someone with this. So I'm not allowed to carry this on an airplane. Now, I think we should fight that through organizations like the NRA and you know, Freedom Fest and the Cato Institute. Thing. These free organizations should promote that. But we shouldn't let that rule our lives. I shouldn't get so frustrated that I don't ever fly or, um, you know, or something like that. And I shouldn't fight it on a personal basis because I'll lose. Right? Bureaucrats have no sense of humor. Don't fight <laughs> the right. IRS. Right? The IRS will win. The FBI, they will win. You cannot fight them as an individual. We can as a group, but not as individuals. Right? We can we can learn something from the debate about, you know, they can't deport 13 million illegal aliens. Right? They can't. They also can't put 13 million of us to take a knife on an airplane. But you can't do it as an individual. You have to do it as a group. But the point I want to make, especially to the young people, is you know what? I can carry scissors on an airplane. These are totally legal. This is illegal. Now, really, if you were going to be in a fight, which one would you rather have? I'd rather have the scissors. It makes no sense. These should not be allowed on a plane if this isn't allowed. But this is allowed. And so whether you're investing in the stock market or you're starting your own small business or whatever you're going to do, don't get bogged down in what you can't do. Find the back door. Mm, I like Bureau it. That's tweetable. Bureaucracies, bureaucracies are incompetent. They're incompetent. There's always a loophole. There's always a back door. They'll never think of things fast enough. Look for the back door. So that, that would be a big message I'd say to, to young people especially. Yeah, John, I really like what you're saying there. I think that's inspiring. It's encouraging. It's optimistic. And it's realistic. And don't get bogged down with what you can't do because we can list those all day long. Go through, they're doing this bad. They're doing that. Oh, did you hear about this thing also? They're doing that. Well, okay, we get it. That's part of it. But the other reality is but you have the opportunity to do this. Like you said, I think it's a vivid example there. The scissors you can carry that are within TSA guidelines here in the United States versus the little knife that has one blade that's just a little bit too long. And, oh, they're very uh, interested in following. Not, their not, not, even too, not even too long, Terry. No blade. Oh, no blade. No blade. No sharp blade of any length. Yeah. Scissors up to four inches. It, it's it's ridiculous. It, and again, if, if you want to go be a, a hair weaver, right, you got to go to school for six months or something to weave hair. And it frustrates a lot of people. And they, you know, they complain about these local ordinances and all the licensing. And that is a legitimate concern. But you know what? If you want to be a hair weaver, go figure out another way to do it. There's there. I'm sure there's a way. Right? Don't let that stop you. Call it something else. Give it a different name. Get a different license. 
Yep. Make it happen. Exactly. You're watching Freedom Fest TV. I'm Terry Brock, your host, and John Pugliano is joining us right now. He's a financial planner, a person who does a lot of work with money for people that are his clients, and he helps out, and he's giving us a lot of good information. I particularly like, John, what you're saying about the importance of living pragmatically and doing what we can. I think the, uh, Teddy Roosevelt said it uh, very well when he said, do what you can with what you've got right where you are. And I thought that is words of advice, even though I didn't uh, vote for Teddy Roosevelt myself. Uh, but I do think that uh, he had some good points to say on that particular thing. And one of the things we came to do today, I want to get your insight on, because you've talked about this on your podcast, is the role today for the average person who's watching this of cash. How much cash do we have? Where should we keep it? Uh, there's talks of banks that might not be able to take care of it. Uh, putting it under the mattress has some pros and cons. Uh, help us on this area of uh, what your thought is, how much, what we can do, some rules of uh, conduct for cash in our society today. Sure. And again, I'm just giving my opinion. Take it for what it's worth. A uh, couple things on cash. First of all, I think it's really funny that you know the, the Europeans have banned their 500 euro uh, bill because of smuggling and crime. And it, 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 like we just talked about with Bitcoin, the government is so behind on things so that you can't carry a 500 euro bill because they, they want capital controls. But with a couple clicks of your mouse, you can send billions of dollars through Bitcoin anywhere you want to. Yeah. So, so there's, there's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, as far as cash though, and this applies to people in the United States, I'm not, I'm not worried about the U S dollar becoming totally worthless in an economic collapse anytime in the near future for a couple reasons. Uh, and I'm not worried about the bail-ins and things like that that we've seen happen in Cyprus and other places um, in the U.S. Now, that could happen in Europe, you know, Brexit and things like that could cause problems. But in the U.S., we are the reserve currency, and, and the, the money is, is recognized and used uh, you know, throughout the world. It's just, it's just the way it is. Whether you like it or not, it's just the way it is. And for them to crash the system, uh, you know, they would have to do something so devastating that if it if it does, if your hundred dollar bill is no longer valuable, then we've got so many bigger problems that that, that you know, what's a what's a hundred thousand dollars in gold going to do you if if all the electrical grid shuts down and you know all these different things? I'm I'm not worried about the zombie apocalypse, but if it comes, you know, rather than owning dollars or gold or any. I would I would want to own Marlboro cigarettes and Jack Daniels whiskey, right? And I live in Utah. It's still going to be valuable in Utah, right, compared to other places. Um, commodities are what's going to be worth. You can't eat gold. You can't eat silver. So I'm not worried about like a total economic collapse. I'm not Jack worried Daniels about and uh, Marlboros or whatever people smoke. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I, I actually, I know what you're saying. I personally don't smoke and uh, don't do that. But I find that having cigarettes can be useful just as currency. They can be used that, as currency, currency for an emergency fund. Maybe it's a good idea of the diversification. Well, right. Again, studying history. I mean, what what do you think they traded in in prisoner war camps in World War II? They traded cigarettes. It's it's human nature. And again, that's how I study and look for trends in the market. It's all about human nature. It has nothing to do with balance sheets and, and spreadsheets and things. And uh, Terry, if you just think about cigarettes, and I'd mention alcohol. What what's the government agency that regulates alcohol, firearms, firearms? Those are the three commodities that are the most valuable in any meltdown. Small arms, ammunition, alcohol, and tobacco. I mean, that's now. Mm. I'm, not, 
I don't own that. I'm not going to trade. I'm just, I'm just throwing out. A, if rather than owning gold in the crisis, that's what I'd rather have. But having said all that, our our government can print money. So we're not going to actually default. And Donald Trump got in trouble for this, I think, a couple of weeks ago saying this. You know, we're not going to default in the traditional sense of the word. If we don't pay that $20, billion, $20 trillion off, we're just going to print more money because we can print it. It's a problem that Europe's right now with um, all these countries that have their own debts, but not the common currency. So Italy can't inflate its way out of debt because it's locked into the euro. So that benefits Germany's exports and it helps Spain and Italy's um, borrowing. But as a, as a country, it hurts them collectively because they, they can't uh, manipulate their own currencies. And as, as much as I don't like manipulating currencies, it's what governments do and it's, it's what they've done. And so, you know, if you're in Cyprus or you're in Greece or something and you have debt problems, you know, they, they have to go in and take people's money because that's how they have to have access to it. You know, if they're in euros in the U.S., they're not going to I don't think they're going to come in and confiscate our bank accounts because they can just print money. I mean, the Federal Reserve in the last eight years, we've seen them. They created over four trillion dollars out of thin air. They didn't ask us for permission. They didn't tax us. They didn't have a vote in Congress. They just and four trillion dollars is is almost the value of all the stocks on the Dow Jones Industrial mm-hmm. Average. So 3M, Mobile Oil, you know, Exxon Mobil, uh, Walmart, Nike, all those stocks that you can think of. And they had the, all the big blue chip 30 stocks on the Dow Jones Industrial. They add up to a little bit more value than four, four and a half trillion dollars. Mm-hmm. The Federal Reserve created that out of thin air. They, so in America, our economy is different. And so that's why I'm not overly worried about cash. Now, does that mean that it's not going to lose value? Absolutely. And that's why I don't own cash long term. I own cash as a short term trading instrument. I look at it as a value. You know, right now I'm concerned about the stock market. So I think that the market could, not that it will, but it could drop 25%. Okay. I don't think the US dollar is going to drop 25% in the next six months. Now, is it going to lose 25% of its value in 10 years? Probably but not in the next six months. And so it's a, you know, it's like with a diet. Should, should I uh, have a diet Coke or a, a full Coke? You know, it's, you have to make these choices and, and one maybe they're both bad, but maybe one's better than the other one. Um, the, the markets are the same way. I think right now the market is more risky than cash. And so I go to cash over the long term. I think that assets are going to be more valuable than the U S dollar. And so, yes, you should invest in assets like gold, like real estate, you know, if, if the dollar melts down, beachfront property in Malibu is still going to be worth money, right? May, it may be Japanese yen, it may be Chinese yuan, or, but someone's going to want to live in Malibu because it's a desirable place to live. And so, you know, that's the way I look at commodities. You know, right now, Google is a stock that I like. I personally don't, I'll use Apple as an example because right? my, my firm owns Apple. So we own Apple. I like Apple. I don't think they're going out of business in the next six months. I may not like Apple in 10 years, but I like them today. They pay a nice dividend. They've got, I don't know. Apple has enough cash on hand to buy all, all but maybe the top 15 publicly traded companies in America. That's Apple has $200 billion or something in cash right now. So I don't think they're likely to go out of business in six months. So I'll put my money in Apple today versus the U.S. dollar, mm-hmm. right? versus gold because I think Apple has maybe better some better prospects. But over the long run, I believe you invest in 
appreciating assets. And the best one you can invest in is yourself. Again, that's the message to the young people. Get an education. Learn something valuable. Learn how to create products and services. Because as long as there's human beings on Earth, they're going to want to interact and they're going to want products and services. They're going to need health care. They're going to want haircuts. They're going to want to go somewhere, you know, transportation, whatever it is, learn to provide those products and services and investing in yourself. You're an appreciating asset. Yep, I like that. I think the idea of investing in your education is very important. I'm not a financial advisor, but my ph uh, philosophy on where to invest is number one in your health physical and mental health, making sure you take care of that first and foremost. And then secondly, in market valuable skills, acquire the skills that the market says, you can do that for me. You mean if uh, I need help on this area, you can come in and take care of this problem or help me to get better uh, business this way. How much would you charge for that? And if you have a market valuable skill, that is going to help you to be uh, very uh, financially stable, no matter what happens. And so I'd have to agree with you on that. And we continue to educate. We can continue to uh, learn valuable skills and uh, move in that direction. What role do you see that education plays for an investment for the average person today? It's the best investment you can make. I mean, uh, I encourage people uh, through my pod. You know, I do a podcast because people, not everybody can hire me, right? I'm just not... Uh, uh, you know, if you have ten thousand dollars you want to invest, don't call me, right? I'm not, I'm, I'm not at that level. I, I deal with people that I basically serve what I call the millionaire next door, the blue collar millionaires. Those are my clients. But I do a podcast book. for every. <laughs> that's and, you know, earlier we talked about when I was thirty five. I had an epiphany. I read Tom Stanley's book in nineteen ninety six. Change didn't teach me how to make money. It changed the way I thought about people that. He was the money. best professor that they, I had in the MBA program at Georgia State. I sat with him for a no, full I, quarter listening I, to Tom Stanley. He is uh, always been known as Dr. Stanley to me. I lived down the road from him and didn't know it, and I wish I'd have met him because uh, I lived in Georgia for a while. Uh, but he literally was one of the people that had a major impact on the way I think, which caused me to have the wealth I have today. Um, but that whole – so those are my clients. But what I do with the podcast is, is I offer just my advice, my thoughts, opinions on building wealth and the stock market and things. But what I tell people, particularly people with – that are just starting out or don't have a lot of money is you're not an investor. You're, you're trained to think that you're an investor. People always ask me, you know, John, where can I invest a thousand dollars? Nowhere. There's no good investment for a thousand dollars. Like in the stock market, no one ever asked me where they can buy a good BMW for a thousand dollars, right? Cause they know they can't, but they think that they can invest in the stock market and, you know, cause they see late night TV or spam about mm -hmm. how you can trade in options and make millions of dollars. It's not going to happen. If you have $1,000, if you have a small amount of money, what do you do? You invest in yourself. The, the two things you want to do before you become an investor in the stock market or investor in real estate are learn how to earn an income and learn how to save it. Earn and save. And so as far as education, the best thing you can invest in is an education. And, and again, my, you know, with my clients, they're the millionaire stores. Some of them are doctors, but some of them are tradesmen as well. So you can be a cardiologist or you can be a carpenter. It, it, the market will reward yeah. you. It doesn't matter. I know, I know cardiologists that are broke and I know carpenters that are rich because the, the income doesn't matter. I mean, you, the market will reward you on, a, on an income basis, but on a wealth basis, that's up to you. And the doctor that's broke is broke because he's Joe Sixpack, just like anybody else. He's spending more than he makes. Yep. And so 
invest in yourself, learn how to make an income, and then have the discipline to save it. Absolutely. I like that idea. And you talk about that in your podcast. And those of you that are joining us here, you want to get in touch with him and listen to those podcasts. There's no charge to it. You can go and listen to them. I went over to the website and listened to it going, boy, this is good. Good points on investing, how to handle credit cards, how to do all of that. And John is going to be one of the speakers at Freedom Fest coming up uh, this summer. And matter of fact, Gina Carr is standing by. She's going to be coming on in just a few moments uh, and uh, talk to us about what is happening with Freedom Fest and how we can use that and uh, how we'll be able to tap into that as we move forward. But uh, just before Gina comes on, I think she's coming on right now. John, tell us, uh, for those that are watching, tell us how is it they can get in touch with you. If they want to get more information, they want to listen to that podcast, find out about you, how do they get in touch? Yeah, the best way to find me is just through uh, my podcast, which it's called uh, Wealthsteading, just like homesteading. It's Wealthsteading. Wealthsteading. Um, you can go to Google. I uh, can go to iTunes, you know, all the normal places. It's it's broadcast there, syndicated there. Uh, the web the website is wealthsteading.com. So uh, if you if you Google that at all, you'll find me. Uh, all my information's out there free of charge. I don't charge for uh, subscriptions or any of this kind of stuff. Whatever my opinion is, I told you I'm not an expert. I give it freely. You can choose to use it or not. Uh, but uh, that information's all out there. Yes, and we have uh, that in the live chat. Thanks to Gina Carr putting it in there. As you can see over there, John, you notice over on the right. So this is your first time using Blab. You notice over there on the right, we have the well setting. Is that co- spelled correctly? That's Wonderful. Correct. And so those of you joining us, you can do it. This is the wonders of the technology today that we have something like this here on Blab. We're coming live and direct right now. And it's a pretty magical, I think. Well, Gina, tell us a little bit about uh, uh, your thoughts on that and about ways that we can get a discount uh, when we register for Freedom Fest. Yes. Well, uh, speaking of John being first time on Blab, uh, he actually multi-talented. He was able to participate in the chat. Even I saw you, you responded to a couple of things. So that's fantastic. And, um, and I looked uh, and subscribed to your podcast and it looks really great. I'm very eager to, to learn from you. I've already learned some uh, during this call here and look forward to learning more. Well, as it relates to Freedom Fest, uh, you know, I look forward to meeting you in person, John there. And for you, you guys who haven't registered yet, it's a great time to register. You can still use the code capital FFTV at um, at freedomfest.com and you get $100 off. It's going to be fantastic. It's July 13th through the 16th. And we're going to have over 200 speakers there. Everybody from John Pugliano here, Dr. H- uh, Tafik Hamid, uh, who was our guest yesterday. There's going to be Gary Johnson, Governor Gary Johnson, who is the Libertarian candidate for president. Um, Senator Rand Paul, Judge Andrew Napolitano, just all kinds of luminaries, people who are big into uh, thought leadership, particularly as it relates to freedom and liberty. So if that's what you're interested in, if you are a liberty lover or a freedom fighter, uh, Freedom Fest is a place for you. Probably going to be about 2,000 liberty lovers there, and uh, you'll I'm sure you'll get engaged in a lot of great conversation. Terry, you've been many times. I've this will be my third time. What is it you love so much about Freedom Fest that attracted you to, to go back time and time again? Oh, gee, there's a lot. Um, 
I guess for me, it would be the intellectual feast of going and hearing a variety of topics. It's kind of like going to a university where you can learn about this and that. At Freedom Fest, we'll learn about topics like John has been talking about, investing and what to do from a very, very practical point of view, as well as history. And we'll learn about politics. We'll learn about nutrition and health. We're going to learn about uh, writing. Uh, we also have the Anthem Film Festival. So we're going to see some of the best libertarian and free market oriented films that are out there anywhere on the planet. So it's one of those things. Don't come to Freedom Fest to get a lot of extra sleep. That's not the place for it. You want to come there and just let your mind be filled and get uh, excited and the people you're going to meet. Think about that. You're going to be around over 2,000 wonderful fellow liberty lovers, people that believe largely in the non-aggression principle of never initiate force or coercion against another. Do what you want to do in life. Live freely and have a great time. So I guess that's uh, kind of in some what I really like about Freedom Fest. Yeah, you know, a lot, of, I, a lot of great people, Steve Forbes, Mark Skousen. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, as far as meeting people, too, uh, I, I plan to be very accessible. I'll be there the whole week. I'm going to be at the uh, Atlas Society thing at the beginning. So if people contact me through my website, uh, we can get together some meetups, small groups, whatever. I'm, I'm happy to – I'm just there to hang out with people and to, uh, to enjoy uh, – really looking to the Anthem movie the, the yeah, movie, whatever it's called. Film festival. Yeah, you know exactly what you're saying. Uh, one, so many of our speakers are very accessible, and there are still tickets for some specialty luncheons. People like Jug Andrew Napolitano, Senator Rand Paul. They're going to have. Uh, they'll be speaking main stage, of course, to the entire audience. But then there'll be special sessions that you can reserve. In fact, I think the tickets for Judge Andrew Napolitano's have almost all disappeared. So if you're interested in that, be sure to get tickets for that right away. There might be still a couple left, but those events are filling up fast. And, uh, you know, that's even a, another way to have more exclusive access. But, you know, as much as um, all the talk about investing and, and those sorts of things, which is one of the reasons I went to Freedom Fest a few years ago, Terry mentioned nutrition. Uh, I attended a session by one of the speakers, T. Colin Campbell, and it, you know, literally changed my life uh, for the better because here, years later, I've um, converted to a completely plant-based diet. And I mean, things that I never expected to come out of Freedom Fest uh, have come out of that. And, and I'm much, much healthier because of it. So I can't wait. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. We'll look forward to having all of you on board. And uh, Gina, thank you for your help. Gina Carr is our producer, and she is a person that uh, takes care of a lot of the details behind the scenes, making sure it's uh, happening just right. Gina, we appreciate you very much. Thank you. And we also want to uh, realize, I'm looking at the clock here, we're going to be winding down in just a moment. But before we leave, John, I want to turn it over to you for any final words of advice on what you are saying to your clients right now, what you're looking at, and what you would uh, advise for those that are joining us today on not only for a particular, I'm not looking at a particular stock or something to invest in, but more an attitude, more of the style, the strategy of how to succeed today and in the future, whatever the financial condition is going to be. Yeah, the two best pieces of advice I think I can give anybody is, is number one, don't think of money as U.S. dollars or stocks or real estate or whatever. Don't think of your wealth that way. Think of it as freedom. The more, the higher your net worth is, the more freedom you have. So, so don't think of things like your job or your income as just creating money. What it's doing is it's creating the ability for you to buy yourself more freedom. So, so number one, look at it that way. And then number two, in terms of investing, 
Like we talked about, first start with investing in yourself. You, the, the main thing, you know, wealth is about freedom. That's number one. And then number two, how do you get more wealth so that you can have more freedom? Well, you have to invest it properly. And investing it means owning appreciating assets. So focus on owning appreciating assets. That's yourself, you know, invest in yourself so that you become more employable or so you can start your own company. Invest in a, in a real estate like a, a home or a homestead that's appreciating, not depreciating. Don't spend your money on consumer products that are, you know, I, I love my cell phone. Well, actually, I, I'm cheap, so I still own the old Apple 5 because I'm a cheapskate. I'll, I'll buy the 6 when like the 9 comes out because it's that's, that's why I'm so rich, right? That's how I got where I'm at. I'm a cheapskate. But these are de depreciating assets. These, these are taking away our freedom as much as they can enable us they can also take away our freedom when you're investing in in your abilities or your talents when you're investing in being able to provide products and services when you're investing in um, assets they're appreciating sometimes gold's appreciating sometimes oil's appreciating sometimes apple stock's appreciating that's when you're building wealth so start with yourself educate yourself and then go out and invest in other things but it, it We've never lived in better times. There's, there's all things we can complain about, but there have never been a greater, more exciting time to be on the face of this earth. So go out and make the, best, the most of it. Excellent. Well, John, you have helped a lot of people in many ways. We love your work and eagerly looking forward to seeing you in Freedom Fest and being there this year. And so uh, if you haven't joined, those of you that are watching this, if you haven't uh, signed up for it and registered, do it. Go over to www.freedomfest.com. Freedomfest.com is the place to go and you'll be there. John, thanks for being with us today. And dear listener and viewers, we appreciate you. Thanks for being with us. For the entire Freedom Fest team, I'm Terry Brock. We'll look forward to seeing you at Freedom Fest. Bye now.